The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Dr. Connie Mariano. I'm known as the White House Doctor, and this is my show on the Empowerment Channel, Voice America. And I was informed that this is a birthday for the Empowerment Channel. I think they're five or six years old, so that's a really good thing. I want to thank and welcome back the faithful followers who have been listening to my show. This is my third season. And originally, I thought we would end the season last December, last month, after 13 weekly shows. And I was getting ready to wrap that when the executive producer, Sandra, came into the studio to talk to me. And I said, okay, that's it. That's a take. And she says, well, why are you, why are you stopping your broadcast? I said, well, weekly shows are really rough on me because you know, i got to plan the format invite the guests, get, you know, get my script together, get my stuff together. In the, in the meantime, I'm seeing patients full-time, doing annual exams, which I'll talk to you a little bit about later, and just being a full-time doctor. And she says, well, you know, you could do this monthly. And I said, light bulb goes off. I said, let's do it. Let's do it every month, once a month, every third Thursday of the month. We will broadcast 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So I'm back. So the way you can look at it, it's going to be that time of month again, but we're going to make sure it's a time of month in a good way rather than in expecting to feel moody and broody and uncomfortable and tense. And, you know, you're not going to feel that way, hopefully, for my show. You're going to look forward to listening to it and at once a month escape from the usual negativity that you'll hear on the on the news. So there'll be the time of month that you're hopefully anticipating something good and positive and inspiring and uplifting and ways to make your life better and alleviate stress. So that is really my goal for this show. In a lot of ways, I think this is my antidote and relief from the negative press that a lot of people are feeling is bombarding the networks and on TV, on radio, and on, in print media. So as I start off my third episode, I, I want to thank Andrew Stevens, who is my marketing director. Say hi, Andrew. Hey, Dr. Connie. Always a pleasure. Glad to be here for the third season. He and Aaron Stevens, his partner here in crime, uh, have been advertising and promoting the show and giving me ideas and helping coordinate. So they've really been successful in getting the word out about the show and guiding me along. So thanks for, for your faithfulness, Andrew, and your creativity. I want to thank my dear friend, Maddie Williams, who couldn't be in studio. She is my dear friend, and she's one of the people I call my hide-the-body friends, and you probably have people like that. You've got lots of acquaintances, but what I define a hide-the-body friend is, God forbid, you wanted to eliminate somebody from this world and do so, you would only tell a few people about it. And Maddie's somebody who, if I wanted to eliminate somebody, she would say, listen, I'll get, I'll get the shovel, I'll get the truck, we'll hide the body together. So it's only a few people like that. Well, she's at home, she's got the bug, so I'm wishing her all the best, sending good messages to her, and I hope she feels better. I also want to mention a couple people. I call them my honorable mentions. A lot of people call them shout-outs. Well, you know, I'm sort of a laid-back person who avoids confrontation. I don't like to yell. If I yell, it, you know, I have to raise my voice. That gets me worked up and I feel like I'm fighting. I don't like to fight with people. Honestly, I don't like to fight. So I want to do my honorable mentions to a couple people. The first one is Cousin Denise, my husband John's, John's cousin. She lives in Colorado. And on December 23rd, 
actually December 13th, <clears throat> she received a heart transplant at the University of Colorado Aurora. So for Christmas, she got a heart, and I think that's incredible. She's doing well. We're sending prayers and good thoughts her way. I want to say hello to Warren and Emily in Maui. They live in paradise, and I envy them. Also want to say hello to Frank Murray, who lives in Coral Gables. Frank is a retired and recovering Washington Times reporter who I knew during the Clinton years, and he was instrumental in getting me promoted to captain because he wrote an article about me, which that press, actually that was good press, and that got sent off to a doctor in Oroville, California, who told me that I really needed to be promoted, and he told me about the Act of Congress and the legislation that made it possible. So thank you, Frank, for doing that. So hello to Frank. Hi to Jeff and Anita Bell in, in Georgia. Hello to Juliet Arboleda in San Diego, California, who is a traveling business gal, but went to my high school, Mar Vista High School in Imperial Beach, was homecoming queen. She's a beautiful gal. Hello to my friend, Dr. Angela DeRosa, who is a very talented hormone therapy physician. Her birthday was last month, and we got to celebrate that and looked forward to positive things in her life in, this, in the year ahead. Hello to Dr. William Lee of the Angiogenesis Foundation in Boston, Massachusetts, and he's starting a book about cancer therapy and ways of healthy diet and lifestyle, and I hope to have him on one of my shows this this year. Dan Grunenfeld, who is a master builder and a family friend who listens. Hi, Dan, hope you're doing great. To Linda and Rick Keister in Colorado, Florida, and New York, they have three homes, but most important about Lick, uh, Rick and Linda, they have a beautiful granddaughter, Emma, who turned three this month on January 8th, and I got to spend some time with Linda looking at baby photos and squealing. There's nothing like being a grandparent. It's the best thing in the world. Hello to Lillian Evidente here in, in Fountain Hills. To Suzanne Diamond and her husband, Dimitri, hello, my friends. To Marsha Meyer, who's been a guest on our show on the Be Kind People Project. And my good friend, Mac McGuire, who celebrates his birthday on Saturday, January 20th. Happy birthday, Mac. Here's to many, many more birthdays ahead. As I was getting ready for this monthly show, I was really relieved about doing a monthly show instead of weekly. One of the reasons about doing a monthly show, it makes me reflect throughout the day and throughout the weeks in preparation, what am I going to share? And, and it really makes me filter or screen and prioritize what I think is important for my audience. And I think you look at the difference between a, a monthly show versus a weekly show, and I, see, I think the challenge with a weekly show is that, okay, am I running out of material? I gotta fill this airtime. Now, if you look at a weekly show, the challenges of that, now can you imagine, and imagine this, if you've got a 24-7 news network, what do you do when it's a slow news day, right? And I always wondered that during my nine years at the White House serving three different presidents. I traveled with the press. I knew them. I used to take care of those guys. And I would always be amazed. How do they find things to fill the news? When you're under 24-7 news, do you create the news? Do, what do you search? And when sometimes, depending on which patient is mine who is the President of the United States, I always think, well, okay, if this is the highlight of the news, if this weren't the highlight, what would have been the highlight of the news? So you have to look at what what becomes the top of the news at that thing, at, at that time. So I really like doing once a month because I can focus on a theme, I can reflect, I can research, I don't have to fill time in because I'm afraid I won't have enough stuff. I don't have to throw whatever is, comes my way and make it the big news because it may not be big news. So I think about that a lot. And I've learned a lot of, about what happens on the front page of a newspaper. And I, I would tell people who find themselves on the front page of the paper that, you know, it looks bad when you're on the front page. Usually they don't put good things on the front page, but don't worry. Something worse, worse will come along and you'll be off the news and something else will take your place. So one of, th one of the things I'm going to share in the middle portion of my show, which I want you to stay tuned for, is I'm going to talk about the media because I've gotten a lot of requests over the last 10 days to make comments about presidential health care and the health of the president. So I'll share that later in the next portion of today's uh, show. But I want to start off really with a topic today that hits home to a lot of us, and it's very relevant. It's the flu. Now, a lot of people say, oh, what's the big deal? <clears throat> it's inconvenient. It's the flu. But you got to remember, 
it's deadly. We've had up to this point 759 American lives uh, lost because of the flu. Uh, people may not remember, but in the early 1900s, they had a world pandemic that wiped out millions of people. That affected my family in the Philippines because my maternal grandfather and three of his children died in that flu pandemic. So they left my maternal grandmother almost orphaned. So it impacted, it, it impacted so many people. And we're right in the midst of flu season right now. So if you haven't gotten the flu shot, please get the flu shot. I know people argue it was, it was only 60%, 62% effective. It was a difficult match. It's always a guessing game by the manufacturers to get the right blend there, so to speak, for the flu vaccine. But you got to have some protection as well. So really, if you haven't gotten the flu shot, please get it. If you suspect you're getting the flu, getting the flu get some medical help right away. Uh, what are the signs? You can have a severe headache. The profound things people talk about are severe muscle aches. You feel like you've been hit by a truck. You can have a fever, sometimes low grade, oftentimes high grade, <clears throat> 100, 100 degrees or higher. We've been seeing people with low grade temperatures under 100 degrees who actually have been documented with flu based on nasal swab testing. If you think you're getting the flu or about to, you're coming down with it, please don't spread it. And if you get treated in time, what I tell my patients, if they call and say, listen, I think I've been hit by a truck. Everything aches all over. I'm congested. I got a horrible headache. I'm starting to get a runny nose. <clears throat> I'm starting to cough a bit. I said, you know, even though you got the flu shot, I suspect clinically you've got the flu. I'm going to call in some Tamiflu for you. Darn, I should have invested in that company and ordered lots of Tamiflu. I start them on Tamiflu right away within 24, 48 hours. If you can get them treated right away, hopefully within first two days, you can minimize the symptoms and hopefully cut the duration of their illness uh, by a few days. And that's the hope. So if you're coming down with the flu, don't, you know, don't spread it. And if you've got the runny nose and you're sneezing, stay away from people. When you look at somebody sneezing or you're near them, my instant response is I turn my head. I don't want to be around the sneeze. Because when, when one person sneezes, you're, the droplets that come out of their mouth and nose, can you, they measure the velocities of their droplets. And they can go as fast as 150 feet per second. So if you're, you're getting sick, you know, stay at home. Workers with the flu or cold should use their sick days. And a lot of times people don't. They want to come in. They want to gut it out. Well, what happens is everybody gets sick at work. So then, ev you know, everybody's down. So the question is, okay, you're going to stay home. How long do I stay home? You know, how long am I infectious? Well, you're infectious for quite a while. A lot of people, when they start with the symptoms, they're actually spreading the virus as they're beginning to develop these symptoms. So when you finally decide to stay home, most doctors say you stay home until you're fever-free for about 24 hours. Now, if you have the flu, just plan on being home for three to four work days. You've got to be back. You're not coughing. You're not sneezing. <clears throat> you're not feeling crummy. And really, how productive can you be if you're sneezing, coughing, miserable? And most people are going to want to stay away from you, right? It's like, don't be, don't be anywhere near me. The germs are spread. They're airborne, as, as I've mentioned, respiratory droplets from sneezing and coughing. The virus can last for up to 24 hours on the surface of a table, on a doorknob, on a uh, remote, a remote TV remote. So definitely wash your hands, stay away from people. You really have to, to isolate yourself with that. One of the things I talk about, uh, I want to address in this show, is New Year resolutions. Do you have resolutions other than trying to, to avoid getting sick or getting the flu? Um, I, I think resolutions are important, but do you know that about a third of resolutions don't make it past January? So how can you increase those chances of making your resolution work, right? So I'm looking at my guys. Are we good for break? Yep. What I'm going to do, we're going to go to a break, and then I'm going to come back and talk about how to make your resolution stick, and then I'm going to delve into presidential physicals and Martin Luther King Day, so stay tuned. We've got a lot of good stuff ahead on House Calls with Dr. Connie. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought... 
Which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back to the first show of the new year. And as you know, New Year's are about resolutions, right? So do you have any resolutions for the new year? You know, a third of resolutions don't make it past January. Now, how do you increase your chances for making a resolution stick? How do you make it work? Number one, there's some advice that people give you. Pick the right resolution. Now, you've got a best, your best shot at success if you pick a goal that's doable and meaningful to you. Don't do it because somebody told you to do it or society is expecting you to do it to change. You've got to pick something that's meaningful to you that you're going to benefit from that. Also, don't pick something that's too vague, like, okay, I'm just going to get healthy. Well, what does that mean? What do you specifically mean by that? Or I'm going to lose weight. Well, how much weight do you want to lose and how soon a period of time? So you've got to have that in mind going for you. So there's a couple of ways to do it. And there's an organization that deals with management corporations and how to manage goals. And what they recommend is something they call the SMART method, and they use the acronym SMART, S-M-A-R-T. And these are the things they recommend to achieve your goals for a resolution. The S stands for specific, right? Make sure your resolution is absolutely clear. Make it a concrete goal that you're going to try to achieve, like, okay, I'm going to lose 10 pounds over the next six months, right? So make it specific. Five pounds in the next two months, okay? Make that really your goal. Number two, actually, is M is measurable. 
you can measure it. You can measure fitness, you know, how many minutes on the uh, treadmill, your endurance, how long you lasted on that. You're going to run a marathon. You're going to run a half marathon, how much weight loss. Make sure that you can tell that it's working. So definitely be able to track the progress. The A is achievable. Okay, don't make it re so difficult that you're going to fail at the first instance. So make it, you know, that you can, you and your friends can do it. And actually, sometimes if you get friends helping you out, it's more achievable. R is relevant. It matters to you. you know, how am I going to make it happen so that it really helps me more than anybody else? And the T is time-bound, that you make it achievable within a time period. So look at those things. When I look at the word resolution, I look at the root of the word, and the word is resolute. And in the White House, I remember the word resolute, commonly it's the name of the desk that's in the White House called the resolute. And the resolute, if you look at the word resolute, it's an adjective, and it means admirably purposeful, determined, unwavering. So I can understand it applies to resolutions about being determined to stay on course with these goals. And I think it applies also to this month, January. There are a lot of great things in January, in addition to it's my birthday month, which I think is great. It's also the birthday month of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Had he survived his assassination, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. King, would have been 89 on January 15th. That's his birthday. And I look back at to my upbringing. I grew up in Washington, D.C. in the 1960s. My father was former Navy. He was Navy at the time. He was stationed at the Navy Yard. We lived in Navy housing, and it was during the Civil Rights Movement that we lived in Washington. In fact, it was in the 60s that we did a cross-country drive from uh, San Francisco, cross-country, took us several days with friends to go cross-country through the South to Washington, D.C. And those are in the era where they had segregated restrooms. And we would go into towns, and my father <clears throat> would drive around, and he was looking for the right neighborhood because we're, we're not white, we're not black, we're Filipino. And we're dark, my father's dark, so where are we in that spectrum? You know, people always thought, well, okay, you're foreigners, okay, but we are American citizens, okay, so where are we? Do we go into the, the whites-only restroom? Can we go into the colored's restroom? Do we, what water fountains? They had separate water fountains, and that's, it's appalling, but that's the way America was in the 60s. So we would try to find the right place to go, and we lived in Washington, D.C., during the Civil Rights Movement and the March on the Mall. So, so many things I remember of that time growing up. I think of all the brilliant things that Dr. King had said in his, in his life, in his short lifetime, and uh, the two quotes that I really love are the following that I'm gonna share. One of the quotes he talks about education is, he says, the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. So I love to contemplate that because do we teach our children to think intensively and to think critically? What is the information you draw out? Do people know how to think? How do they, do they ref respect that? Do they honor that? Do they, do they reflect? The other quote to which uh, great Dr. Martin Luther King is, is attributed is his I had a dream speech and he's quoted and I quoted I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character and amen to that it isn't about looking at your skin your superficial it's what is your character what do you stand for your intelligence what you say but the content of character nowadays has changed because it's under attack, because people disagree. People rush to decision if you disagree with them. And I have seen more and more of that where you can have, you know, we're free to think whatever in this country, but if you disagree with other people, it's become so polarized that they may not, they, they don't like what you say, so rather than attack the thought or the thought process, they just attack you. And I'm, I'm very wary of people to do that, and I see that in the news, where people start yelling over each other, they're criticizing each other, their backgrounds, you name it, 
and and it, it's hard to listen when people yell at me and argue with me I shut down I don't yell back I I just listen I'm polite I've been trained to do that but I once people yell I shut down I don't want to listen anymore so they've already lost me so I look at that and I look at how polarized that is and all the emotion and drama and it, it really came into fore, as I look at it being on the outside now, no longer at the White House, over the last 10 days. And one of the biggest things in the news for about, oh, for the last eight days since that happened, was last Friday, the President of the United States, United States had an annual exam, and having been the White House doctor, I have been involved in, in other words, I've organized and participated in eight presidential physicals. The first one I was involved in, uh, involved in performing and conducting was the final physical for George Herbert Walker Bush before he left office, and then all the President Bill Clinton's annual exams. So actually, I've done nine presidential exams. The first one I did was with Herbert Walker Bush, and every year I did an annual exam for President Bill Clinton while he was in office. And that is, you know, why do we do that? There's no legislation that says we have to do that. We do that primarily to ensure <clears throat> the president stays healthy. But over the years, it is our way or the president's way to reassure the American people that the president is fit for the duties of his office and that he will live his term in office because there is nothing as chaotic and disruptive as a death in office. And and we have gone through the longest time in American history that we've not had a presidential death or assassination in, in office. And that's incredible. That's credits to the Secret Service who do their work, as well as advances in medicine and to the White House Medical Unit, of which I was involved with for nine years. So let me talk about presidential physicals because this was a hot topic. It was such a hot topic that my office received numerous calls from news networks all over the country as well as overseas. My cell phone got calls, which I don't answer if I don't recognize the caller. My son in Minneapolis got a call on his cell phone because a very clever reporter saw my name and was able to call him. <clears throat> so I decided I wasn't going to speak. It was my decision. I don't work for the press. And I think that's one of the nice things. I don't have to say anything. But the, the wonderful thing I like about my radio show is because I own this show. I own the airtime. I don't have any sponsors. I privately fund it. I don't force anybody to listen to it. I can say what I like to say. And because I like to be positive, I want to I educate you a little bit about what I think about presidential physicals. Number one, the president is the first patient. He's a patient to us as doctors. He is the commander-in-chief. He's the leader of our country. He's the leader of the free world. So we owe it to him to make sure we provide good care to him and we conduct a physical that's, that makes sure we optimize his care. And various men come to office in various shapes and forms and various health issues. So we look at that. Uh, the format has varied over time. It, it's pretty much a one-day experience. We, we plan ahead of time for the present physical. And I'm speaking about the physicals I, I help organize for uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and the Clinton years. Uh, it's planned. It's performed at what used to be Bethesda Naval Hospital, which is now Walter Reed National Medical Center in Bethesda, same building. There is a private suite. Uh, we used to call it the Medical Evaluation Treatment Unit. It's a private suite that's used by presidents, has special equipment in, it in terms of shielding from nuclear war. It's got it's got some special uh, protective devices there. It's got good communications. And I always tell people that you know you're involved with a presidential physical because the White House doctor flies out to Bethesda, uh, what you say Bethesda, to Walter Reed Army Center with the president on Marine One. We land on the, uh, the, on the helipad, and he motorcades over to the special doorway to enter the hospital. And in the waiting room of the private Me Too suite are doctors waiting. It's the only place you'll ever see a waiting room of doctors waiting for their patients. So we look at that, and we've already pre-lined, uh, pre-scheduled uh, what we're going to do. The president comes in, and, and under when I took care of President Clinton, uh, first thing we do is we draw blood uh, so that we can the blood work can be uh, run. And it's usually a blood count, lipid panel, PSA, thyroid, um, HCC reactive protein, inflammatory markers, uh, urinalysis. You also get urinalysis. Uh, after that, uh, we ask, we weigh, we get the height and weight of the president. 
And then we included in that physical dermatology evaluation of the skin. We had, at that time under Clinton, stress echocardiogram, EKG. So we look at all those things. We have subspecialists there. We had a, in addition to dermatologists, cardiologists, ENT doctors for Clinton, gastroenterologists for his reflux. And so we did all those things. At the end of what looked like three to four hours of that, uh, we give the president some lunch. I gather the lab data and we sit down, I sit down with the president, and I, I am his doctor at that point. We're looking at the data, and I discuss, you know, his height, his weight, his body fat percentage based on the, uh, the numbers there, and we talk about ways to get better. I talk about his cholesterol, what we need to do about it, and so those are important things. I do physicals every day. If you ask my patients what I do, I see all my 300 patients at least once a month. I spend two hours for their annual exam. Uh, it's what I do all the time. So why do I do that? I, I make sure I try to do preventive medicine in the sense of make sure they have their immunizations. I track their blood pressure, their pulse. We get their EKG. I want to see if there's any cardiac issues, uh, diabetes, thyroid. I look at their skin. I check the guy's prostates, breast exams for the women, pap smears for them if they're due for that. But I also look at their cognitive function. And Primary care doctors know how to evaluate cognitive function. And the reason I say that, people say, well, why didn't he have a psychiatrist look at it? Well, you know, he had what most Americans have to evaluate patients. He had a primary care doctor, right? How does someone see a psychiatrist to begin with? Usually, if, if a patient, okay, volunteers and says, okay, I have an issue. I'm going to go see a psychiatrist. I'm voluntarily going to do that. Good for you. I Praise to you. Commonly what happens is they reveal to their doctor, I think I'm having some issues, or what I see a lot in my practice is a family member comes up and says, listen, my husband has been behaving this way, or my dad has been doing this, or family, close friends, or the company comes to me and says, we're worried about it. Then I say, well, let me talk to him. Let me do a, a screening examination. Uh, in the case of the White House doctor, he did a screening evaluation to the crest of the patient because I think they wanted to reassure the public because of all the things going on, uh, concerns about the public about his mental health. And so I totally agree with the president's doctor. He did the appropriate things for the physical. He did the tests that I've done that I do on my patients every year. And I think a lot of people don't realize that White House doctors are different types of doctors in the sense that in addition to your oath of Hippocrates as an MD, which Dr. Jackson is, he is an emergency medicine physician. He's a fellow of the American College of Emergency Medicine, so it's beyond that. He has additional qualifications. As a White House doctor, he is a military officer. He has taken an oath of office to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, which is beyond what civilian doctors have. Okay, So our loyalties as a former military doctor, I was for 24 years, is number one, support and defend the Constitution of the United States, not a political party. It's the Constitution. Included in that is the 25th Amendment. So it is important that we are honest, we don't fudge, we don't lie. And one of the things I've taught my successors, Dr. Richard Tubb, who succeeded uh, Dr. Jeff Coleman, who succeeded Dr. Ronnie Jackson is, number one, you are the doctor. You are not the spin doctor. Many people want to be the spin doctor. You don't spin medical data. You give the data. You advise your patients. But you never lie. You never deceive. Because one of the things as White House doctors we have learned over time is we've inherited this legacy of deception and denial from our predecessors under different times. And people go, well, what are you talking about? When was that? Well, let's see, Woodrow Wilson had a stroke in office. Dr. Kerry Grayson and, and Edith Wilson hid him from the public for quite a while. He had a stroke. He was incapacitated. We had Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who had polio, who was in crutches. And the, the press hit him, didn't want him to be seen in crutches. But he had massive hypertensive cardiomyopathy. He fi finally died of a stroke. Uh, there was other things, but, you know, you think of uh, presidents who have been disabled in office but were functioning, such as Abraham Lincoln looked massively depressed. JFK suffered from Addison's disease, was getting injections at that time. So it was a lot of that. So what does it come down to? Why do you do the physicals? Number one, as a patient, you, you owe it to him to make sure he's fit. As a commander-in-chief, 
the president, you want to make sure he's fit for office. And what better person than people who've been educated about the hazards of office, who follow the president 24-7, day in, day out. They travel with him everywhere they go. So my final talk about presidential care is that I think I totally agree with the White House doctor and his appropriate evaluation of his patient. I've not evaluated that patient. I think as I look at the president from a distance that I am amazed for a guy 71. He has incredible energy and vitality. I take care of CEOs who are younger than our president who are, in, who are envious of his energy and stamina. I say kudos to that. I wish every patient a long life. And one of the things that I'm going to share in my next book, I call it the 11 president, Presidential Secrets to Longevity. And look at our past few presidents and our living presidents now. We have the largest number of living presidents alive. Okay, we have George Herbert Walker Bush, Jimmy Carter, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama. And what I've seen in the, the older two, they will be 94 years old this year. So even though presidents age before your eyes, they will outlive most of us. So they will definitely outlive the four years if they continue to get good care and the work of Secret Service. And beyond that, you know, genetics are about 32%. Otherwise, I think it's the, the White House Medical Unit's duty to make sure they're fit for office and you keep them going. So I'm going to segue into other things uh, after talking about that, but I just want to make it clear I, I am supportive of what the White House doctor does. Very few people have been in that position. Uh, I am probably the oldest surviving presidential physician. Uh, Dr. J. Burton Lee III passed away last year. And I miss him, his wisdom, and uh, I get to be the old dog now commenting about my successors. So I'm going to take a little break and come back, and then I'm going to talk about the things that are important in life. So stay tuned for more. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building, yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success, and every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. I've had lots of opportunities the last couple of months to think about mortality. I, I, I work with patients every day. Last year, I lost, I think, four of my patients to natural death, unfortunately, no accidents. My oldest patient was 102, and she just decided that was it. She decided to pass, and I miss her. One of my other patients died from peripheral lateral sclerosis, which is a form of ALS, and he had lived with that disease for about five years, and his wife took incredible care of him, but he was a a wonderful guy, brilliant guy until that horrible disease took him. Had another patient of mine die around Christmas time, and she had brain cancer, and just progressed over a year. She went through surgery, radiation, chemotherapy. We thought she was recovering, then just quickly left. And then I deal with that in my personal life. My father, who is amazing, is retired Navy Master Chief in San Diego, uh, turned 93 in July. <clears throat> and uh, on New Year's Eve, we got a call from my brother that my dad uh, collapsed, and he had to bring him to the ER at the Navy Hospital in San Diego, where my dad was diagnosed with septic shock from influenza. And he had received the flu vaccine, the high-dose flu vaccine, which was appropriate, uh, but uh, got the flu, and nothing's 100%. So when John and I, my husband and I, flew out to San Diego, we went to see my dad in the ICU, and he was on a ventilator. That was his wish, to be resuscitated. So I, I was preparing my brother and my sister. My brother is his caregiver at home. And I was preparing. I said, well, you know, Dad's 93. He's... He's got septic shock. I mean, look at all the IV drips are there to keep his blood pressure going. There's a very high likelihood he may not come out of this. And my brother, who's an incredible man of faith, said, well, I'm just going to pray. My statement is, you you pray like hell, right? So he prayed and prayed and prayed. And the next morning, I was coming in to say goodbye to my dad, thinking that that was it. And the nurse had said, well, we turned off the fentanyl drip, so he's waking up. And his eyes were wide open. He was looking at me, trying to smile with the tube in his mouth, holding onto my hand, trying to kiss our hands. Uh, they took him off the, the, out, off the uh, life support tube, uh, took him off the IVs, and a week later he went home. So uh, it, it was almost like, gee, Dad, you're amazing. Now he is back in the hospital again today. My brother just called me. He's got double pneumonia, but he's a tough guy. And... I see that you look at life or death, and a lot of people always think, well, I'm just going to get worked up, or I don't know if they really realize they're getting worked up. They let things bug them, and they work up so much. And an example I think of this past year, one of my patients who's 76 has a home in Vail, Colorado. And he was out there, and he was coughing. He got the you know flu. And I said, we, we got to get a chest X-ray. i got to make sure you don't have pneumonia. I sent him over to the hospital. He got a chest X-ray, and he called me right away and said, the doctor here says... I've got a mass on my lung. And I'm like, okay, you know, he used to smoke many years ago. So he got a PET scan, we're working him up, and the PET scan w- didn't show it lit up. So that was a good sign. I got him into the uh, the good doctors at Mayo Clinic here. A week later, he saw the pulmonologist. He said, no, you probably have Old Valley fever. So my patient said, listen, I felt like I got a second chance at life. I went from, I've got lung cancer, I'm gonna die soon, to I might live. And I said, well, how does that feel? He says, I feel like I've been given a second chance. And so when you realize your time's limited, 
what do you spend your time work, worrying about? Do you engage in drama? Do you engage in petty things? And I think one of the things that really I focus more as, as patients die, I've been with many of my patients for 17 years, and you and friends die. I lost, and my cousin died. Actually, my one of my cousins who was 46 um, passed away last January of ovarian cancer. And so you look at life as something so special. And I remember uh, one of my friends, Marianne McLean, posted on her Facebook this, uh, this post from a gal named Holly Butcher, who died in Australia at the age of 27 of sarcoma, which is a rare form of bone cancer. And Holly, before she died, wrote a letter to her friends and family about life and what advice she would give to those as she was facing death. And a lot of people have read her post. It's gone viral. And I want to share with you the 14 life lessons that this young woman shared with people because I think it's important as we begin this year to look at what's important, if I'm being redundant. I, nobody knows when it's time it's going to happen. You know, in my father's case, we kept thinking it was time, and he proved wrong. Other people thought they live a long time, and you know, they die very young of accidents or various things. And so life is precious. Every day is a gift. And number one thing that Holly shared as she was facing death is, number one, life is a gift, and your life could be taken any time at any moment. And her words are, it is fragile, precious, and unpredictable, and each day is a gift, not a given right. As she wrote, I'm 27 now. I don't want to go. I love my life. I'm happy. But the control is out of my hands. And how many of us think we control everything? We don't control the universe. We don't control all that. And I think when people get sick, they get really upset. It's the 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 rug is pulled out from under because they've always trusted their lives. They've always predicted everything. One of the comments I made to my husband as we're flying out to see my dad is, you know, death is so rude because it's so unpredictable. You know, you can't schedule it, right, unless you're going to execute somebody, right? Nobody plans that. So, you know, and it's looking at how precious life is. The second thing that Holly shared was, your problems are tiny and often meaningless. She wrote, those times you're whining about ridiculous things, something I have noticed so much these past few months. Just think about someone who's really facing a problem. Well, here she was facing death, and she's looking at people whining about things that don't even matter in the end. Who cares about that? The third lesson she shared was stop worrying about the small stuff and when things don't go your way. And as she says, let's let all that S-H-I-T stuff go. I swear you will not be thinking of those things when it's your turn to go. It's all so insignificant when you look at life as a whole. And I look at my patients because for many of them, I'm their last doctor. I'm the one who coordinates their hospice care. I sign up hospice with them. In fact, one of our guests in a few months will be the coordinator for Hospice of the Valley who sees many of my patients. But what I see is when I visit them as they do that final chapter of their life, I, I'm the one who usually gives them their, the bad diagnosis or suspect the bad diagnosis that it's going to be terminal. And the things that go through their mind are, oh, I wish I had made amends with the people I was estranged from. I wish I had forgiven those people who hurt me. I wish I hadn't done those things. And they look at that. So you look at those things, let the little things go. I wish I hadn't focused so much on the little things that didn't matter now. The fourth thing she shares is what really matters in life are love, family, and friends. And as Holly is passing away, she writes, I'm watching my body waste away right before my eyes with nothing I can do about it. And all I wish for now is that I could just have one more birthday or Christmas with my family, or just one more day with my partner and dog. Just one more. So can you think of that? If you had one more day, and I think of that that accidental alarm that was trigger, triggered in Honolulu uh, a week ago, where people got the false alarm that they had 38 minutes before a nuclear weapon would be hitting them. Can you imagine if you got 38 minutes to, you know, before something would hit, if you got an alarm like that, where would your thoughts go? Would you think, well, I got to run back to the office. I got to post on social media. Who are you going to be thinking about? What are you going to be doing? If somebody says, in 38 minutes, we're going to be killed, what are you going to do? You ever thought of that? What's going to really matter then? 
The fifth teaching point she, she shares is being healthy doesn't equal to having the body everyone else wants you to have. She says, she wrote, work just as hard on finding your mental, emotional, and spiritual happiness too. That way you might realize just how insignificant and unimportant having this stupidity portrayed perfect social media body really is. And that's trying to be real about real life, okay? Social media guys ain't real life, right? Everybody posts the life they wish they had, right? They don't necessarily post how miserable they are, you know? And if they do, kudos to them. People are gonna hopefully reach out and help you. But don't make up stuff, don't be fictional. And so, you know, in terms of finding the right body type, the right face, you know, find what's authentic for you, find what's healthy for you. No one's ever gonna have that perfect figure. Even models struggle for that. Nobody can have those type of bodies. It's, it's difficult to do, and really, whose standard is that? The sixth lesson that Holly shares is, it's true, it's more blessed to give than to receive. She writes, give, give, give. It is true that you gain more happiness doing things for others than doing them for yourself. I wish I did this more, and amen to that. This is the year one of my resolutions is get rid of my stuff. I'm gonna donate more. And I think if you wanna donate, think of this, donate your organs. I think of our cousin, in Denise, in Colorado, she lives because somebody gave their heart to her. Somebody donated their bodies. So be an organ donor. Donate your corneas, your kidneys, your liver, your heart. I'm a donor. I want to donate. Somebody can recycle. Recycle what you can of your body. Live on in other people. The seventh lesson she teaches is material things and gifts don't create love and connection. This year, she wrote, our family agreed to do no presents. Those cards mean more to me than any impulse purchase could. Anyway, moral of the story, presents are not needed for a meaningful Christmas. And that's so true. It's your thoughts, it's your cards. I keep all the cards for my kids. The eighth is the best things in life for free. She says, get up early sometimes and listen to the birds while you watch the beautiful colors the sun makes as it rises. Cuddle your dog, far out, I will miss that. Her ninth lesson, reassess and readjust your life priorities. What's number one in your life? Is it your spouse? Is it your friends? Is it your family? The tenth is live life with joy and purpose, not guilt and fear. The eleventh is live for yourself, not to please others. The twelfth is express love now. Don't wait until it's too late. So I'm going to send my love to Addie and Alex, who are listening, my grandchildren Addison Stevens and Alex Stevens. This is Lola sending you love. Tell them you love them. When you say goodbye to your family, say, I love you. Your 13th gift from, from Our Lady Holly is you have control over your life, no time to be miserable, so don't be miserable. And the fourth gift she shares is at your very last moment, you'll remember the people you love. As that final breath comes, she shares, think of the ones you love. She wrote, a year I will be forever grateful that I got to spend it here on earth with my family, friends, and my dog. A year I had some of the greatest times of my life till we meet again. And I said, think of Holly, may she rest in peace. She has given so many people in her passing. After her 27 years on this earth, she's able to share those wonderful things. So I'm gonna share with you before we end today's show the lyrics of a song that was actually popular in the 1950s during the World War II era. And it was sung by a uh, songstress named Vera Lynn. And the lyrics I love, and it, here's the, here are the lyrics. It begins, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through, just like you always do, till the blue skies drive the dark clouds far away. So will you please say hello to the folks that I know Tell them I won't be long. They'll be happy to know that as you saw me go, I was singing this song. So all of you out there, you have a choice in how you spend your days. You don't know when it's your time, but make sure it's positive. Make sure it's loving. Make sure it's kind. So with that, I'm going to end the first show of our third season. Uh, you're going to hear back from me, God willing, next month with some fun things to share. And I wish you joy and peace and happiness in the month ahead. God bless you all.
Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week. We'll be right back.